My friends, you are sending our Liberal team back to work, back to Ottawa. And now we are heading back to Ottawa with a much bigger team, with more support from coast to coast. You Democrats are going to be working hard to make sure your life is better. We will not allow the Parliament of Canada in its 43rd session to let down our children. Welcome to Context, I'm Lorna Duick. God keep our land glorious and free. Okay, few things divide us like our politics. After this election, how do we understand each other? In Prime Minister Trudeau's minority government, the West now wants out. Quebec's back in with a bloc and they want out. And the political climate is rife with discontent. Today on Context, Preston Manning is here to talk about Western alienation. We've got a group of millennial politicos on their views. And how did the religious vote fare? That's all ahead here on Context. Preston Manning formed and led a political party in the 80s with the rallying cry, the West wants in. By 1997, that grew into Canada's royal opposition as the Reform Party, which Mr. Manning led to Ottawa in stunning electoral growth. Preston Manning then went on to help create the reform movement into the current Conservative Party of Canada, which led our nation for nine years. Now in 2019, the West wants out. So, sir, what does this minority government tell us about Canadian sentiment? Well, I think it indicates the country's badly divided and the Parliament's divided, which uh, is going to make it very difficult to reconcile some of these conflicting interests. I think division is the main thing that came out of the election, unfortunately. You raised some hackles because you got involved in a quiet way behind the scenes. You helped raise some money through the Manning Centre that went to a third-party group which funded what were perceived as attack ads against oh, the yeah, Liberals. Yeah. I actually don't like that whole social media third-party advertising approach myself, but we have some donors that uh, felt in the last election the leftist-centred groups were far more numerous and far better funded than the conservative ones, so they wanted to support some of these groups. And so we said, okay, we'll put that through us, but we'll evaluate the results. Those that use it irresponsibly won't get any <laughs> further funding in the future, and those that use it responsibly, maybe they'll get further uh, funding in the future. So it, it is indicative, though, of how angry Western people, Western donors, Western voters, Western businesses about the results of this election. Oh yes, I, I don't think Central Canada or Ottawa has any appreciation of how deep the, uh, the sentiment is in Western Canada about basically a feeling that the Federation is operating unfairly towards particularly Alberta and Saskatchewan and that the Trudeau government is completely out of touch with them. And it's on a whole host of fronts. You say the worst thing that we could do as a country is ignore this Western dissatisfaction. What should the minority Liberal government do? Well, I, I think this is a principle of particularly responding to populist movements. And, and th this is far broader than Western Canada, the Trump phenomenon in the United States, the Brexit phenomenon in Britain. It, often what the political establishment does is just completely ignore or dismiss this bottom-up surge of, of, of sentiment. Say these are ignorant, uninformed people that don't know what's good for them, and that, that's precisely the wrong reaction. I, I think what you have to do is get to the roots. Why are these people upset? Why do they think they're unfairly treated? And you can identify those things with respect to Western Canada. That's what the, the Liberal government should do, but there wasn't a, 
any inkling in the Prime Minister's speech the night of the election that he had a clue that he's got a unity problem on his hands, a very serious one. So what are some of those root issues that have made the Westerners so dissatisfied? Well, one of them is the equalization formula, where a province like Alberta has poured billions and billions and billions of dollars in, in equalization, much of it going to one province, the province of Quebec, and this is just considered uh, unfair. The Alberta economy goes down and there's no reciprocal response from the national government. So the unfairness of the equalization uh, formula, the, the inability to move resources from the interior of the country to, to tide water and world markets. The sense pipelines. that the oil pipelines have been strengthened. Yeah, and not just th that, that the, uh, the, the barriers to trade, uh, the inability there's been investor meetings where they're trying to attract investment capital to Western Canada, where foreign investors get up and, and mock the name Trans-Canada. They say, Trans-Canada, Trans-Mountain Pipelines, you Canadians can't trans anything. You can't build infrastructure across your provincial boundaries. You may have the second or third largest petroleum resources in the world, but you can't get them out. Because and it's actually a subject of ridicule. And this comes back to the inability of the federal government to actually enforce free trade in, in, in Canada itself. So there's enormous concern about the, that. Uh, Mr. Trudeau got upset about SNC-Lavalin losing a few, maybe a few thousand jobs in Montreal, 150,000 jobs lost in the oil patch. And this doesn't invoke any concern or any response. So it's this list of... Uh, of uh, issues, and the fiscal one is another one. Now, right. Al Alberta just threw out a provincial government, basically on the base they couldn't manage the finances of the project of the province. They ran up deficits and debts. They see exactly the same thing going on in Ottawa, backed up by the federal NDP. So there's this long list of uh, things that people consider unfair and being unaddressed by the current government or by the federal parliament. Okay, we're going to be back in a moment to talk about what's the healthy way, the constructive way to take that dissatisfaction. More after this. The millennial generation made up the largest voting bloc this election. What issues matter to them? Well, joining me now are young voters who supported four different parties. Uh, Mariana, let's start with you. As a liberal, part of the liberal activism group at McMaster University, why do you support the liberals? Um, the liberals probably best reflect my own values. Um, I, I come from immigrant parents who come from like a war-torn country and coming here like it was the Liberal Party that like provided them with like more resources and greater services for them to start building their family and start like rebuilding their lives and so I like to think it, it's a family affair and I support with the Liberals but um, overall yeah it's just like a greater like reflection of my own values and what I think is best for Canada. And you still love their pro-immigration stand. I do, I love it, it's great. <laughs> okay Lucy, you've actually worked on Parliament Hill in a Conservative Member of Parliament's office, you voted conservative how do you feel about why they how they managed this election and and um, and why did you vote for them yeah yeah um, I I think the conservatives did, did well this election I think um, a few bumps in the road for me uh, there's a number of reasons I, I chose to vote conservative um, there's a lot of conservative MPs and, and people in the conservative party who I 
uh, who, I, who I really support and who I really um, think deserve to be there. I think the biggest thing for me was affordability in the economy. Um, and I think I'm a student, I'm going to be graduating uh, within likely this government's mandate. And I want to graduate into an economy that's strong. Um, hopefully taxes are low, hopefully jobs are available. And I think that the Conservative Party kind of gives the best chance for that to happen. Okay. And uh, Christina, you were sacrificial. You actually ran for the Green Party. You had finished your master's degree. It was time to start. Um, how do you feel about what the country said about Greens and about what your party stood for? Yeah, I think that the country overall did take a really strong stance in the Green Party. We saw over a million people voted for the Green Party. We only got 1% uh, less of the votes than the bloc, but that only translated into three seats versus over 30 seats. So uh, that's unfortunate. If we had proportional representation, as we were promised in 2015, we would have seen different results. Okay, Victoria, there's going to be some rebuilding in the Green Party. How do you feel about the future? I'm really optimistic. I think that Elizabeth May has been an inspiration for especially me as a young woman running in politics, but for other women across the country as well. And she's a great mentor, and I've spent a lot of time with her throughout this campaign, and I think that she's ready to uh, really help out the next leader as well. All right, okay. So now in um, Montreal, Rhett, you have the distinction of being from Alberta, but you've been studying in Montreal the past three years. You are the treasurer for the NDP uh, Students' Association there. Tell us how you feel about how the NDP fared, your party fared in this election. Um, I would say I'm definitely glad that we actually have a path to holding influence in government this time. Um, it's always obviously disappointing to lose seats in an election, but this time with the Liberals being relegated to a minority government, there is the opportunity for the NDP to have their voice heard in Ottawa for and this term, and that's something I'm excited about. Your leader, Jagmeet Singh, played such an interesting role because you've got Bill 21 there in Quebec being used as the polarizing issue. Your premier is asking people to get behind that, while your leader actually wouldn't even be able to serve in political office wearing his turban. Do you feel we should be doing more about Bill 21 with the NDP distinctive? Um, sure. I'm, I'm not a fan of Bill 21. I think it's discriminatory, discriminatory and I think it's uh, dangerous. Um, I strongly support opposing it, frankly. Okay. All right. So as you guys all saw as young voters, uh, what does your generation care about that did come through in these results? What, what do you think this is going to be the next thing we should really be chasing down? And Victoria, let's start with you. I think it was blatantly clear that the environment and our climate crisis was on the mind of every single voter out there. It was ranked in nationally as the third most important issue. Young voters election. out there or every voter? You no, I'm saying so for every voter, every it's the voter third is most young. important issue, but for young voters, it is the most important issue okay. of the election. Okay. It's the reason that I ran and the, the most important reason that we should go out and vote because it's our future and our generation that has to worry about this. Mariana, the most important issue you think to young voters um, in I this... I agree with Victoria, definitely the environment, um, but I also believe that it was about um, protecting the environment or getting like better environmental regulations while also supporting like a growing so economy. So you want to see the government work on that, this new minority yeah. government work on the environment. Lucy, for you. Um, I, I honestly would agree. I think the environment is, is so key to, to young people. Um, I, but I would also echo affordability and okay. especially I think student loans and, and paying for school. Let's give the, okay, let's give the closing word to you, Rhett, in Montreal. The key issue for a young voter like you, for this government to well, work on. Of course, I want to echo Victoria's statements on the importance of the environment. It is, uh, you'll recall just a few weeks ago, there was a 
something like 500,000 person march in Montreal, largely comprised of students uh, protesting the climate emergency. Uh, I think it's really impossible to deny that the importance of this issue. Well, you're inspiring to us all. Thank you to our panelists, Mirianna Poliak, Lucy Brinkman, Rad Dumonse in Montreal, and Victoria Galley. Thank you for joining us. So what does a liberal minority mean for religious voters? With us are two political and ethics experts, Rob Jostrom, Moira McQueen. Uh, Moira, let's start with you on Bill C-21. So here you have uh, Quebec's premier now saying, if you want to get along with Quebec, get along with Bill 21, the biggest infringement of religious speech right. and expression that I've ever seen in my 30 years in this business. Yeah. Agreed, Lorna, and extremely dangerous, obviously, for everybody who has a religion at all, apart from everybody else's freedom of conscience. I can't quite believe the insistence on this bill, why it's so important to them. It seems to me like vestiges of nationalism coming back again, keeping Quebec free of you know areas that they think don't belong there. But the way it actually affected the vote was fascinating because the Bloc Québécois did so well and many of the pundits were suggesting that this whole idea of shoring up Bill 21 and the fact that the federal government had better not touch Bill 21, etc., you know, threatening and that, that sort of approach. It is a threatening tone, Rob, that, you know, here this is about your religious expression does not belong in the leadership of this province. Mm -hmm. um, there's other issues, though, that were important to religious voters. The life issues were heavily campaigned on. Pro-life euthanasia mm -hmm. came up at the Quebec debate, mm -hmm. at uh, many of the other debates. How did religious voters fare on those hot-button issues? Well, it's a little unclear, frankly. I mean, some of these issues, although they came up in the debates, weren't widely discussed in the media. They weren't picked up in, by major national candidates. Um, a lot of them were sort of, you know, the perpetual hot potato. They wanted to get them sort of out of their hands <laughs> uh, so that they wouldn't have to deal with it. Um, so in many ways, I'm not sure that religious voters were even able to make a fully informed choice because it was a little bit unclear exactly where a lot of the parties landed on these issues. And the issues themselves, I don't think, got a full airing in the course of this debate. Okay, Moira, as the Catholics, this is the first time we saw the Catholics do a federal election debate in Canada and it was resoundingly clear nobody would step forward for the pro-life cam campaign mm -hmm. but the it, like abortions like like that's not going to come back up into the political realm but mm -hmm. euthanasia mm -hmm. uh, assistance in death mm -hmm. is a huge issue we all should be writing to the justice minister yes. about right now what are Catholics hoping to see happen here well, I think what they're hoping to see happen and what's likely to happen given the new government are, will be two very different things. But because of that debate, Catholics were at least able to raise those issues of euthanasia and their concerns about any extension of the legislation that are, again, yes. being threatened uh, because this is, this is another matter that's very important for them socially, conservatively, religiously, politically, right across the spectrum. And it was almost too bad that in that particular debate, the responses from the representatives of the parties were very negative, tried to stay away, as Rob said, from anything to do with religion, very non-committal. One was a bit more than the others, but on the whole, it was not a good result for how we are thinking about going forward. Okay, um, Rob, what will a liberal minority government mean for religion? organizations, for charity law, for expression of views that are different than the federal government's views. 
I mean, I think there's really two things that religious communities need to be thinking about on the back of the results of this election. The first is about their own communities and their own orders. What we see is a very polarized country. And when you look at a map like the one that we've seen in terms of how the country is painted, that's not just secular people being polarized. That's religious people, too. That means there are evangelicals in Alberta and evangelicals in Ontario that really disagree about the direction of this country. What does that mean? Catholics, Muslims, Hindus, the same story, I think, in terms of religious communities. Will their communities be able to overcome? the polarization or will they become just one more part of this increasingly polarized tone. The second thing I think we really need to think about is with a liberal minority government, we can probably expect that the New Democrats will hold most of the balance of power there. We may see them at least try to swing for the fences on some of the more polarizing social issues, like, for example, euthanasia. What will that look like mm. for uh, traditionally-minded religious communities? I think there may be some big challenges in store. Okay, the ethics, uh, the sexuality issues, uh, and uh, charitable status, all things for us to keep our eye on both of you. We'll have you back again as uh, these issues emerge through the political landscape. Thank you, Moira McQueen and Rob Jostra. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Marna. Well, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says he will govern on behalf of all Canadians, but our next guest strongly disagrees with that. While Alberta has once again turned blue, but for one NDP riding, David Yeager is the author of From Miracle to Menace. He's worked in the oil industry since the 1980s, and he joins us from Calgary. David, you Albertans are spitting mad with the election results. Tell us from your perspective what's going on. We've just come through <clears throat> the most uh, terrifying election campaign in, in Canadian history. And let me define that. I don't think any other province or any other group of people has ever been subjected to an election campaign where political parties, national political leaders like Elizabeth May or Jagmeet Singh from the NDP have said the only way to save the world from a climate apocalypse is if we wipe out the economy of Alberta. So you're sitting here, you know, watching the nightly news or reading the paper, and basically the message has been with the climate change at the top of the agenda, at least by some of the parties, is that when you lose your car, your house, your job, and your business, this is the, the price to save humanity. Okay, this has actually been a resulted in a suicide peak in Alberta. The economy concerns, 130,000 jobs lost, is that right, have had a stark effect on Alberta. It is our fifth year of the downturn. We were destined for a downturn anyway, almost five years ago to the day when the OPEC meeting collapsed the price of oil. And then we elected an NDP government of Alberta, and then five, uh, four years ago, ND, uh, uh, the Trudeau Liberals won. And so it's just been piling on. We were destined to go into a downturn anyway. Uh, but then, particularly at the federal level, the prime minister campaigned on can on cancelling the Northern Gateway pipeline. He was good to his word. There was political inf interference in Energy East. Uh, that one never never went ahead. And so it has been. It's the fifth year of downturn. And so what happened in, in 2016 and 2017? There was a recovery in the oil industry in the rest of the world, and we had a partial recovery. But at the end of the day, not here. Okay. And so uh, so let's let's. We have a major the problem. Okay, how do we fix the problem? What does what needs to happen? It's a market access issue. Uh, Canada, Alberta has the third largest oil reserves in the world. We have the fifth largest production in the world. The largest producer of oil and gas on a combined basis is Canada. Not a well-known fact. Most of that comes from Alberta. We can't get any pipe out of here, 
And so we, we suffer from a uh, depressed price. The Canadian price is below the world price. But more importantly, we, we, we lack investor confidence. People say, well, why should I, even though we have lots of oil to look for, why should I develop oil in Canada if I can't ship it out of here? So there's been a, an exodus of investment capital. There's been a, a redirection of capital to other, other jurisdictions where if you find it, at least you can sell it. We're landlocked. And it uh, looks like there's a whole bunch of people in the country not only want to keep it that way, but they don't think we should even produce it in the first place. It's last, just, just last week, we watched thousands gather at Edmonton Lesson, uh, the ledge there with, uh, with Greta Thunberg. Do you not think there's, there's a movement also in Alberta that's absolutely pulling away from oil? Uh, there's two realities. There's, uh, there's the idea, the climate change phenomena, or the climate crisis as it's called, has a whole bunch of people alarmed. And I get that, and, and, and it's happened before in history. But I, I don't think people really understand where things come from. Uh, what we find in the oil industry be, to be confusing is you can fill up your tank with refined oil sands on the way to an oil sands protest and not actually connect the dots on where your fuel comes from. So the, the climate crisis people have said, don't worry, uh, we, can, we can manage this. Uh, but in the end of the day, you can't. The other reason that I wrote the book, and the subtitle is Alberta, a Carbon Story. Alberta without oil is Manitoba with mountains. I mean, the only reason four million people live here, and we only have a million people in Saskatchewan and Montana, North Dakota, and uh, and Manitoba, is, is simply because of of the carbon resources. So okay. the green, yeah, well, the Greens say we can transition to a new economy. No, we can't. If we follow through on this, you will lose your job. And the, the politicians that are opposed to oil and gas don't tell us that. Okay, David Yeager, author of Miracle to Menace. Thank you for your insight into the pulse of Alberta and for joining us. Thanks for the inquiry and let's change the channel on this discussion. All right, from earlier today in Toronto, part two of my conversation with Preston Manning and building bridges in Canada's Great Divide. Since the election, we have watched Twitter and Facebook explode with Wexit. Is this a joke or do we take no, it seriously? No, this is another indication of this complete alienation of uh, particularly Alberta and Saskatchewan from the, uh, the federal political process and from the uh, Liberal government. It's just a, another symptom. And uh, another thing Westerners cannot understand in that leaders' debate, you, you have separatism running wild in Alberta and Saskatchewan. You have the BQ coming up in Quebec, and not a single question on the issue of national Sweet. unity. No response from the Prime Minister. Uh, this, people just say there's a disconnect here. Are these people not hearing and seeing what's happening at the grassroots level, particularly in those provinces? You actually have some opinions that there is the right way to be constructive with this dissatisfaction Well, I, I think, as we, we said earlier, I think you have to connect with it, first of all. You have to recognize that these people got a right to be mad. Of course they're going to be uh, mad, and you've got to connect with that. But th then you can say, should that be used in a negative or destructive way, or is there some positive? The, the West should spell out what would it constitute, what does it think would constitute a fair deal? What would 
be better terms and conditions for the West as being part of the Federation. Spell that out and then, then put the ball in the court of the, the federal government, the federal parliament. If they respond to it, then this desire to separate will abate. If they don't respond to it, then it'll blow up even higher. You have seven conservative premiers. Will they work together to spell it out? Well, I, I think there'll be, there'll be a lot more cooperation there. And uh, you take uh, Jason Kenney. He has more experience in national government than the prime minister. Much more experience than the prime minister. Look at his speeches. They're substantive. Are you saying it might be time for a change in the conservative party nationally? No, I, I think, and this was not pointed out by any of the commentators on election night, one of the strengths that the federal conservatives have is the potential for alliance with seven conservative-oriented provincial governments. And is Mr. Scheer the right leader for He's that? He's got the capacity to make that type of relationship. Okay, I want to turn the corner now to the voter, to, the, uh, to this grassroots populism that's rising. Alberta, the West, Saskatchewan, this has been the home of populist movements, but they were driven often at the very core by biblical ideas, strong Christian motivation. Your own father uh, was part of that movement in Alberta. What is the role for the Christian thoughtful process well, now? I, th I think if you come back to wh where we started, the country's divided, uh, and what's needed when a country's divided is the reconciliation and in a sense, that's the ultimate function of government. I don't know if Mr. Trudeau understands that or not, that it's reconciliation of conflicting interests by non-coercive means. And the end of the day, that's what governments have to do. And I think Christians who have an understanding of reconciliation at a very profound level, not just reconciliation by law, but reconciliation through self-sacrificial mediation, where the mediator gets between the warring parties and uh, sacrifices his own time, his own energy, in Jesus' case, his own uh, life, his own personal ambition in order to get the parties together. If there's a group that ought to be able to play a reconciling role in this divided country, it should be people with a, a Christian commitment and an understanding of reconciliation from a Christian perspective. Preston Manning, your uh, family has been involved in provincial uh, politics, national politics, since the early 1930s. Your perspective is deeply appreciated. Thank you. Well, thank you, Lorna. Our blogger, John Stackhouse, professor at Crandall University in Moncton, New Brunswick. John, you actually live in Vancouver, though, so speak to us as a Westerner. And we heard the challenge today that the Western voters should harness their dissatisfaction for positive purposes. Can you, as our professor who helps us go through the Christian thought process, is there any biblical advice to getting positive about feeling alienated by Ontario voters? Well, the Bible tells us we're supposed to love our neighbors, and there's a lot of neighbors in Canada to love these days, but it also tells us to love our enemies, and we've made a lot of enemies. The Prime Minister says he's wanting to listen to the alienated West, but two-thirds of the country voted against him and his party, so he's got a lot of listening to do, but we all do. We all have a lot of listening to do. We're not going to make progress together unless we realize that what is upsetting our neighbors is worthy of our attention. They're not all just wrong and wicked. 
there are fellow human beings, there are fellow Canadians, and if we listen better, we'll be able to cooperate better. Okay, John, I'm gonna direct people to your blog. Fantastic to have you as always. Thanks for being with us. Great to be with you, Lorna. A key role for media is to help people hear each other. A key role of Christianity is to listen. You know, we cannot even say in broadcast what Canadians are posting online about provincial neighbours and name-calling on social media after this election. The language is profane. The anger and disrespect towards people who are co-citizens is shocking. Before you hit post, check if what you're about to say builds this country up. So expect the next round of Christian political activism to be about listening to the divisions in our country and how to mediate a better way forward. For the whole team, follow more of our work online, at the website, and on social media. I'm Lorna Duick. Thanks for joining us.